I never thought I'd go to college. But why am I here? Because my parents sacrificed so much. And now I'm very fortunate to be working for a big firm and having a good salary. And I owe it all to my mom and my dad. And I give him credit, even if he is currently sitting at a nursing home on a chair and has absolutely no idea what's going on. Hi, everyone. This is the AgeWise Podcast. Your assumptions are going to be turned somewhat upside down. Where we talk about aging well. It's an issue that nobody wants to talk about. And wisely. I was totally unfamiliar with the term caregiver. You really learn what you're capable of. I'm Jana Panaritis. A little-known fact about America's millions of caregivers is that nearly 25% of them are millennials, or people between 18 and 34 years old. And a recent report issued by the USC Roybal Institute on Aging and Us Against Alzheimer's shows that one out of six millennial caregivers provides unpaid care to a relative or friend with dementia. Right now, over 5 million people in the U.S. are currently living with some form of dementia, but that number is expected to reach nearly 16 million by the year 2050, which means even more millennials and young Americans will face caregiving responsibilities in the future. At what cost to their young lives? We're going to discuss that and more with today's guest. Lizette Carbajal was just a few months into her education at the University of Virginia when she found out her father had Alzheimer's disease. She's a strong advocate for Alzheimer's awareness and she participated in the USC Us Against Alzheimer's study. She joins us today from Richmond, Virginia. Lizette, welcome to the AgeWise podcast. Thank you, Jana. Thank you so much for having me. To put this in context for the listeners, did you grow up in Virginia? And tell us a little bit about your family. Yeah, I did grow up in Virginia. My parents immigrated from Peru about 30 years ago. They reside here in Virginia still. I never really found the need to move anywhere else. They really enjoyed it here. My parents, uh, when they came to America, they both worked at restaurants, and my mom worked at the hospital for a little bit. Right now, my mom works at a grocery store in where she lives now in Northern Virginia. Mm-hmm. My father, unfortunately, is now at a state hospital um, being treated for and taken care of uh, because of his Alzheimer's disease. But yeah, I'm first-generation. My parents speak very little English. Growing up, my family and I, uh, my mom used to clean houses as well, mm-hmm. kind of as a part-time job to her full-time job she had during the week. Mm-hmm. And so we'd all go as a family and clean houses during the summer or um, after school, we'd go and clean office buildings also in Northern Virginia. And my dad was usually helping with vacuuming, taking out the trash. He was a very active, active man and always willing to lend a hand to anyone who needed it. And so... We always knew that mom always had to be working, so we'd always, my brother and I would always try to help her in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. And so um, when we moved to a little bit, uh, I guess you could say the outskirts of northern Virginia, my parents uh, stopped cleaning those buildings, and my mom had to cut back on some of the homes she used to clean. Mm-hmm. And found a full-time job at a grocery store, and my father also found a part-time job at a grocery store nearby. He was still working uh, retail, 
he used to um, be a stalker, so he would unstock the clothing at the retail store. But once he got diagnosed, he was forced to retire. He still worked his part-time job at the grocery store uh, until we realized that it was no longer safe for him to work. He was a courtesy clerk, so he pushed carts and bagged groceries. Mm-hmm. And so as you can imagine, with someone with early onset Alzheimer's, eventually that became a dangerous job. Sure. And so we told him that it was time to... Um, call it quits. Yeah, and, and how so was he when, when he was diagnosed? My dad was diagnosed nearly seven years ago, so I think if memory serves me correctly, he was in his early 60s. Okay. But he began showing symptoms really early on. As you said, I, he was officially diagnosed when I was a third-year student at the University of Virginia. But as I mentioned, when we used to clean these buildings, these office buildings, Dad was forgetting how where the trash bin was supposed to go back or the vacuum. He would forget that it needed to go back in the closet, forget where the mop was, Mm -hmm. and it was little things. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget that one individual who worked in the building, he was an associate or something of the firm that we used to clean. He said to me, and I was probably in middle school or in high school, and said to me, you know, my father uh, showed symptoms like that. And it probably wasn't the smartest thing to tell a child Uh, because, of course, I was petrified. He was eventually diagnosed with dementia. And I'll never forget that. And I'll never forget the individual who told me that. And I said, hmm, okay. At the time, I had absolutely no idea what he was talking about. And I just thought Dad was simply forgetting things because either he was stressed or he was tired because in addition to working the retail job, he was also helping Mom clean these buildings and her the house that she cleaned. So, um I didn't think about it much, but when I reflect back on those years, I definitely see those little things that Dad would forget that at the time we paid no attention to. Uh huh. I'm guessing that was really hard for you to deal with as the years went on, in particular since you were at college in a very prestigious university. UVA is a great school, and you had to leave. Tell us what happened around that time. I was going to ask if you had siblings, but you mentioned a brother. Is he your only sibling? Yes, he is my only sibling. So I transferred to the University of Virginia. I went to community college, uh, which was five minutes away uh, from home. And the reason being was because he knew something was wrong with dad, especially my senior year in high school. Dad was getting pulled over by the police a couple times a week mm-hmm. because they, they could tell that something was not right. Uh, dad was driving either too slow or taking the wrong turns going the wrong direction, and when they would pull him over, they'd ask him, you know, do you know where you're going, what's wrong, and he couldn't recite the address. He said that his head would spin, and as I told you, Dad was forced to retire from his retail job that he had been working for about 20, 25 years, and so he was only working the part-time job at the grocery store, and my mom needed the help. I knew that. My brother and I knew that. My brother lived close by, too, so he was able to provide the majority of dealing with finances and, and kind of helping to navigate through the system, him and his fiance at the time, who they're now married. Uh-huh. And so I knew that I had to stay and help in some way or another. So I, I went to community college for two years, plus worked a part-time job. And also eventually in my second year of community college, that's when dad had lost his driver's license. And then we would take turns between my mom and I and sometimes my brother and taking dad to work to his part-time job. And so 
Mm-hmm. When I when I was accepted to the University of Virginia two years later, it was it's close to home. It's about an hour away, but we kind of all knew in our hearts that Dad was suffering from dementia, but we didn't know. As you know, there's different. There's Alzheimer's. There's also yeah. various types of Alzheimer's. We weren't sure which what was going on exactly, but he was definitely suffering from sort of dementia and memory loss. And my mom was in denial. And so when I when I transferred to the University of Virginia, I was studying international relations. And hmm. I remember Dad had a few doctor's appointments lined up for that week. And this was when we were going to find out what it was. Hmm. And I was sitting in my dorm, and my mom calls me crying, just wow. sobbing. And she said, it's Alzheimer's. It's Alzheimer's. Hmm. And I just broke down and cried because... Uh, all the memories that I had of my father as a little girl, because uh, my father and I were very, very close. And I, I didn't mention in the beginning, but we were very close. Me and my dad were best friends. And my father didn't have a quality education. He didn't go to school. He knew how to how to sign his name because the woman that he used to work for in Peru um, knew that he didn't have an education. So she tried to help him learn the alphabets. And so my dad kind of was able to make it through just by the little that he knew. Mm -hmm. And so me as a child, my dad and I would sometimes sit and I would try to teach my dad how to write checks or how to write his name or how to write my name properly. And so I I, I loved him. I thought he was the smartest man in the world and so funny. Mm -hmm. And I just remember all of that in the minute my mom told me that he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease I thought to myself, here's a man that immigrated from Peru with nothing, with no education, did all that he could for his family along with his wife, supported her, loved her, and doesn't even get to see retirement, doesn't really get to see me graduate from college. Like uh, He worked so hard to provide that future for my brother and I and mm-hmm. to get diagnosed at such a young age and him not to be able to enjoy what he worked so hard for was so difficult to swallow. Yeah. And so I I cried and I was a mess. I was a complete mess and I didn't have a community. Well, what I mean by that is I didn't know other people that were my age. I knew people or I've heard of people who had their grandparents have Alzheimer's, Mm -hmm. but never their parents. So it was difficult to try to find comfort among my peers. And, you know, they knew something was wrong and my dad was sick. And so from then on, college was very different experience. And by that, I mean, I took my weekends. As I said, we, we were only an hour away from the university. I'd drive home on Sundays to give mom a break or to take dad to work or just to simply hang out with them. But immediately, I knew that I had to make sure I selected a career that was going to be sustainable and also be able to help my mom. Because I knew later down the road, mom was going to need a lot of help. Yeah. Dad wasn't going to be able to work. Dad was going to need care. At the time, I had absolutely no idea about Medicare or Medicaid and mm-hmm. how much you, what you need to do to qualify and how much Medicare actually covered. And so it was shocking. It was shocking, upsetting. But at the same time, there was a sense of what would my dad want me to do? Mm-hmm. Uh, he would want me to continue on with my studies. He would want me to support my mother. And so I found comfort in that extent. But the thing about Alzheimer's is that you're constantly grieving. 
you know, there's yeah. a time where you kind of have to you kind of have to put the grieving aside and be realistic and, and think about what the individual would have wanted for you mm-hmm. as a caregiver, as a daughter, as a son. And that's how I was able to get through my last two years in college. You said that you had to think differently about the career path that you would go down. Was there something that you thought you could do that you realized you could no longer do? I mean, can you be a little bit more specific? Yeah, so- of course. So I knew that I wasn't going to be able to leave the state of Virginia. Uh-huh. Uh, I knew that if I wanted to work on the Hill, because I was an international affairs major, uh-huh. and so I wanted to work on the Hill, it would have been difficult because my parents live about two hours away from D.C. Yeah, that's and far enough. The thought of even the thought of even moving to D.C. Uh, probably wouldn't have been a very smart move, only because, again, I would, I would still have to support and help my mother regardless of what I did. And so that kind of was a setback for me. And I said, well, that's not going to happen. Well, I can't go to New York or, or Florida or California or whatever and find some job there. I have to find something in Virginia. So quickly my mindset changed to, okay, well, I need to find an internship in Virginia that I think will help me ultimately uh, lead to the career that I want. And as a, I mean, I was 20, 20 years old. I believe, right. Getting your mind around and that is pretty intense. Yeah. What yeah. is it do I, that I want to do? And I need to decide now because right. every, every decision I make from here on out is going to get me to that ultimate goal. And at 2021, 20, I uh-huh. had no idea what that ultimate goal was. And I ended up getting an internship on a campaign, on a Senate campaign. And mm-hmm. from there, my network grew. I started meeting new people, I, all of which I still have great relationships with, who really helped me get me where I am today. But I had to be strategic, and I had to think differently as to, you know, is this internship or is this job going to help me mm-hmm. ultimately wow. get where I want to get mm-hmm. to it so that I could also help my mom along the way? Mm-hmm. And by that is, of course, a lot of it was financially. Sure. Uh, is sure. it going to help me pay the bills? Is it going to help me pay my loans? In addition, is it going to help me pay for whatever care my dad needs or my mom needs? Yeah. Because they sacrificed so much for me to be in college. Like I said, they both worked at grocery stores. It was an hourly paid job. And mm-hmm. so if mom missed a day, that was a lot of money for her. And yeah. while, you know, maybe $7 or $12 may not mean much for the average person that makes whatever sixty dollars to $70,000 a year, for her, it meant a lot. And missing one day, sure. that would cut back her paycheck. And she had to pay rent. She had to pay utilities and food and on top of that take care of dad and so it was a lot to juggle so I always knew that I had to be financially okay not only to pay for the responsibilities that I would ultimately have as a result but also be able to help my mom as she got older and my dad got sicker. Uh-huh how did your brother help out you mentioned that he was helping with the finances how did his caregiving compare to yours? So because he was closer and thank God he was him and his wife were ultimately the reason why <laughs> they are the reason why my father was able to get on Medicaid of which I had no idea I got a job in Richmond eventually working for the governor of Virginia and I was then exposed to you know the resources the state can provide yeah and so mm-hmm. I was informed that you know maybe my mom and my dad or my son and my dad would qualify for Medicaid and it is not easy it is a lot of paperwork, yeah. a lot of things you need to turn in in order to qualify. And 
I had no idea. And like I said, I was working for the governor of Virginia, and I was stressed out. <laughs> Who was the was governor My then? first big What's, girl job, Governor McAuliffe. McAuliffe, okay. Yeah, right. um, it was my first big job, and so trying to balance, and by then my dad was probably closer to the severe stage of Alzheimer's at this time, because a few years had passed by by then. Mm-hmm. And so my sister-in-law and my brother helped my family navigate through that experience, applying mm-hmm. for Medicaid, mm-hmm. finding a home agency, finding a Spanish-speaking CNA that, yeah. that we could probably save for another time. But as yeah. I told you, my parents moved from Northern Virginia kind of to the outskirts of Northern Virginia, a little bit more rural, not a lot of Hispanic people in that area, yeah. uh, let alone Spanish-speaking CNAs. Mm-hmm. And so her and my brother really took care of that end because mm-hmm. mom, of course, didn't have the time nor was her English perfect, mm-hmm. nor would she have been able to fill out those Medicaid forms. And so they really helped in that sense. Of course, sometimes the CNA wouldn't show up, which are uh, common stories of what I eventually learned working in state government, that mm-hmm. sometimes they just didn't show up and then the person didn't have someone to care for. And those were times where my mom would call me and say, they're not coming tomorrow and I need to work. Luckily, the administration was very supportive and understood and said, hey, you do what you need to do. And I think I've been fortunate that I've had employers who have been very supportive and said, I completely understand if you need to leave me to go see your dad, go, just go. And so whereas my mom didn't have that, Um, again, she was she's a deli clerk at a grocery store. So Mm -hmm. there's not that much flexibility for someone who works at a grocery store. So I would drop everything and go take care of dad. But not only when CNA didn't show up, but it was instances when dad was lost and we couldn't find him. Mm. And my mom Horrifying. would call me hysterically and be yeah. like, yeah, she'd turn around and he'd be gone. Oh. And luckily our neighbor was a police well, is a police officer and he knew my father had Alzheimer's. So my mom would run to his door and knock and say, he's missing. I do not know where he is. And they would find him just wandering around. Oh. And it was, it was a terrifying experience, but they, my brother and my sister, and even till this day, um, my father is no longer living with my mother. He went to a nursing home and unfortunately things didn't work out at the nursing home. So now he's at a state hospital, but they helped with all of that. I, there's absolutely no way we could have provided the quality of care that my dad received if it was not for them and their assistance. You said that you didn't have anyone in your circle of friends who was going through this when you were in college in particular. I wondered if you had any friends that you could talk with about this in college. No, um, they knew. Eventually I became an Alzheimer's advocate. I'd try to join organizations and other uh, nonprofits and I'd see how I could help. But I had good friends, of course. I had best friends, and I, I could I could tell them, but I knew that they didn't understand the uh-huh. gravity of the situation, like how much it affected me yeah. internally, mentally, physically. And, you know, they were good friends, and it's just being in the air and yeah. listening to me and comforting me. But like I said, Alzheimer's is a long grieving process, and I didn't want to feel like a burden to my friend that whenever I'd have some sort of, memory of my father and seeing him how he is now and you know I'd, I'd break down but ultimately I felt like well I don't want to keep calling her because I keep calling you know whatever Laura I don't know yeah. and 
she keeps hearing me cry over the phone. Oh. And I don't want to put that stress on her. So then eventually I just kind of blocked that and dealt with it on my own instead of reaching out to people. And again, they could only do so much and they could only relate so much. You know, and some of my friends may or may not have had a close relationship with their parents like I did with my father. Yeah. So it was yeah. even a harder connection to make there. Right. And I'm wondering, now that you're saying that, how big of a role your cultural background played in terms of what your expectations were for yourself. For I mean, I'm Greek. And so in my family, it's like batten down the hatches, everybody take care of each other. But it's not like that in America. Um, no, so talk about your no. cultural background and what role that yeah, played. It plays a significant role in my life, even today, mm-hmm. uh, especially back then. But even today, I think It was like many other immigrant stories. You have parents that come here, wives, to provide a better life for their children. Uh, They probably didn't have much in their homeland. My parents didn't. Mm -hmm. And they saw America as the land of opportunity. I think we've heard that narrative multiple times, and my parents are not much different than that. They they came here, and they they worked, and they had me. My, My brother was actually born in Peru, but he eventually came to the U.S., and they worked hard for him and for me to be the first one in my family to go to college meant a lot because both my parents sacrificed a lot from paying my my rent at the University of Virginia to my books and I had a scholarship but you know it only paid for so much and Mm -hmm. eventually you know she had to pay for my rent and stuff and so they worked hard they worked really hard and as a child witnessing that growing up with the constant reminder that they are working hard for me, yeah, you see there was it. a sense of you physically yeah, see it. a sense yeah. of obligation that I have to some extent give back to them, take mm-hmm. care of them until they get old mm-hmm. or no longer can work anymore. And, and in American cultures, I'm sure some families feel that way, some don't. And with my friends, they were more free, I guess, in the sense that if they wanted to get that job in New York, they could go. Uh-huh. They didn't have anything tying them back, maybe because their parents weren't sick. But even then, they were just... To them, going to college was second nature. Like, it was it was a given. Yeah. And to me, going to college, because I studied hard at community college to ultimately get accepted at the University of Virginia, but it came with a lot of obstacles because it still meant that I had to work part-time. It still meant that I had to clean houses with my mom. It still meant I had to take dad to work and his doctor's appointment and also transit with my mom had no idea why a bill was so high because no one could understand her on the customer service line. So all that and then going to to college and it's like, I never thought I'd go to college, Uh but why am I here? Because my parents sacrificed so much. It was very much of like, I do this for you. This is for you, for you to have a better future. Everything I do is for you, and you just grow up with that. It's drilled in your mind. I was just thinking of that now. word. <laughs> yeah. It really is you, drilled you, in. Yeah, in that 27, sorry, at 26, I'll be 27 this year. I still think that way. I am going to get married in August, and my fiancé is an incredible man, and he grew up differently than I did, and he's been so adapted to my culture and the way my mom and I, you know, our relationship, and mm-hmm. it, it's a very different, how do I say, it's a very different relationship than him and his family, but he's adopted this responsibility to take care of her mom and her father, whereas going back to your point where Americans are slightly different, right? Slightly different, but he understands. And I think over time he's like, yeah, I, I get it. There's this sense of 
giving back to your mom because your mom just went above and beyond for you with the very little that she had. And now I'm very fortunate to be working for a big firm and having a good salary. And I owe it all to my mom and my dad. And even if my dad has absolutely no idea what I do or what I've been able to accomplish, I give him credit, even if he is currently sitting at a nursing home on a chair and has absolutely no idea what's going on. I give him all the credit. Mm. You said that he was in a nursing home and then is in a state facility. What happened at the nursing home? So, yeah, (laughs) I'll tell you this. As a caregiver for a father who no longer speaks English, only speaks Spanish. Uh, he might, My father spoke a little bit of English when he worked at the retail shop and what have you, uh-huh. but it was never perfect. Uh-huh. It was broken English, but especially as his Alzheimer's progressed, he completely forgot it. But trying to find a nursing home, I mentioned earlier, trying to find a CNA who spoke Spanish was difficult. Trying to find a nursing home that had Spanish-speaking nurses or CNAs It was almost impossible, especially being a male Medicaid recipient. Mm -hmm. Finding a Medicaid bed was difficult. Finding a male Medicaid bed was difficult. And then finding someone who spoke Spanish, at least in one of the floors of the nursing homes, was 10 times difficult. So for a while, when my dad was living at home with my mom and things were just getting harder and harder, I would tell my mom, I would try to encourage her because she was getting sick herself. She was exhausted. She was mentally drained, physically drained, that, mom, we have to put dad in a nursing home. He will be okay in a nursing home. Because to some extent, as someone who used to work in state government and just as a citizen, (laughs) you rely on the system. You expect that the system is going to deliver for you. Mm -hmm. And some do and some don't. Had my dad just spoken English, then maybe. But my dad only spoke Spanish, and like I said, finding a Spanish-speaking nurse at a nursing home was not easy. Uh, The nursing home had a hard time understanding him. Dad, unfortunately, is very aggressive. Mm -hmm. He lashes out. Mm -hmm. He gets agitated, and he's only talking to you in Spanish. Uh And the nurses have absolutely no idea what he's saying. They try their best by getting a translator via phone, but my dad has no idea what a phone is anymore. You can try to talk to him via phone, but you kind of have to yell. And he has no idea that there's a phone in his ear. He kind of looks around like, where is the sound coming from? And so it didn't work. Luckily, the nursing home that we found was here in Richmond, so I was 10 minutes away. So I'd go see him almost every day. But they would have a complaint about him every day. And it got to a point where they thought dad needed additional help because of how aggressive he was. And he was ultimately sent to a state geriatric hospital mm-hmm. to uh, have him evaluated to see whether or not there was other issues along, and not just his Alzheimer's, yeah. but honestly, it's just his Alzheimer's. He's aggressive. No one can understand him. No one knows what he's going through, whether or not he's in pain. He has no one to talk to. Yeah. It mm-hmm. didn't work out with the nursing home, so dad's at a state hospital right now, which they have provided great care for him. We have conference calls with his care team all the time oh, and that's good on those and so we we know how he's doing but with Alzheimer's you're not going to get better he's only getting worse and right. he's only getting more agitated more aggressive and it's, it's almost the same story every time we have a conference call and uh-huh. he's not ready for discharge and by discharging you mean putting him back into the community into another nursing home yeah. and he's not ready for that because he's still lashing out so it's a matter of balancing his medication and seeing there's some other type of therapy they could do but 
they've noticed that there's really no no type of therapy, no type of engagement that they can do with him because he is at a stage where he just has absolutely no idea what's happening. Yeah. I don't want to say he's at a point where he's just in his bed. He's not. He's sitting on a chair, but he has no idea what's going on around him. And unless you're talking to him in Spanish, like when I go and visit him with my fiance and we're like, Jose, Jose, como estas in Spanish? Or Papa, it's Patty. It's, da- it's Patty because they mm-hmm. used to call me Patty at home. Yeah. It takes a while. It yeah. takes a while. And then he's like, que? Si. Que? Uh-huh. And that's, that's about it. Uh-huh. <laughs> How often do you see him now? How Do, do you have a chance to see we, him? Yeah. He, well, unfortunately, the hospital is about an hour away. Mm-hmm. And so we go on Sundays. Mm-hmm. to see him. Mm-hmm. My fiance and I are sometimes myself. I just wake up early, take him some hash browns from McDonald's because mm-hmm. when I was a little girl, there was a McDonald's uh, around the corner from our house and he'd always say, you want to go to McDonald's? Sure, Dad, let's go to McDonald's. <laughs> and so we'd go to McDonald's and he'd get me the big platter meal or whatever with the pancakes and the sausage and the hash browns and the biscuits. Not that I could eat it all, but he would mainly eat the rest of it for me. But I knew and I knew he really enjoyed it. He loved hash browns. And so I'd bring I'd bring him hash browns. Probably not the healthiest thing, but I know he enjoys Who it. Cares? Uh, yeah, we just sit there and eat our hash browns together and I feed him and we hang out for an hour, and then I come home, and my mom goes maybe once a month because my mom is three hours away. Uh-huh. And so they usually have to coordinate with my brother's uh, working schedule and her working schedule. They both request off the same day and plan to go there and make a whole day of it. Mom makes all his favorite food the night uh-huh. before, puts mm-hmm. it in Tupperwares, mm. puts it in a little lunch and a little bag, and then the next morning at 7 in the morning, they're hitting the road to go see Dad. Wow. Um, they get there, they make sure they call the nurse and say, please don't feed him because we're bringing him some food. All right. So they hold the tray back. They get there. My mom pulls out the Inca Cola, which is a Peruvian soda, mm-hmm. all Peruvian dishes. And there they are eating happy as a clam, just, just uh-huh. exciting. He doesn't remember my mom unless you have to consistently tell him. Mm-hmm. You know who Rosa is? You know who Rosa is? And eventually he's like, yeah, but I think he is just saying yes to say yes. I don't think he understands yeah. the question. Yeah. But they make a day of it, and it makes my mom happy, but also sad at the same time. Yeah. She misses him a lot. And you too, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. I, I miss him all the time. And I think even as uh, we get closer to the wedding date and just thinking that he won't be there to walk me down the aisle or mm. be there, period, is difficult. And it's something that I've kind of tried to put in the back of my mind because I don't, I don't want to think about it all the time. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, there's some folks who told me, well, what if he goes? And I thought of that. I thought of, you know, getting a bus to take him from. And they, they'd be open to it. The hospital mm-hmm. would be open for it if it's a special occasion. Mm-hmm. But honestly, you know, he's, he's no longer there. He doesn't look like himself anymore. And if he was sitting in the audience and he were to look at himself I don't think my dad would want to be seen at the stage that he's in now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I try to think of him and preserving his dignity. There's a lot of family members that are coming to my wedding and friends that I haven't seen him in years and just remember how he used to be. And if you look at dad now, he's not the same person he was a year, two years ago. And I don't know if my dad would want to be there. If he was able to step out of his body and look at him, mm-hmm. he'd probably say, no, but I would be there with you in spirit. I would think of you and so on and so forth, but probably would not want to 
be there because he's just at a stage. It's like bringing someone out and their final stage of cancer and they just look so sick. Why would you have someone there? Right. You know, like at that point, it's like you're not really thinking about the individual. You're thinking about yourself. Right. And you really have to think that through. It's not an easy decision for you. No, not at all. I think about it. think about the first the father and daughter dance and all that. Because like I said, my dad and I were so close. My dad always went above and beyond to make me happy and would always do silly things. He was such a goofball, such a goofball. And I see many of his traits in my fiance. And mm. He was always caring for the lawn and making sure that the fences were painted, uh-huh. that mom um, didn't have to do the laundry. He mm. was always going above and beyond. Mm. Is your mother's health okay now? How is she doing? She's doing better. She's still slightly upset. She's coping with it differently. I've told her that maybe she should seek some professional help, maybe seeing a therapist or something. But (laughs) as a um, uh, very set in her ways, strong Hispanic woman does not Uh think she needs that help. (laughs) But Uh she says, Uh no, thank you. I could deal with this on my own, and I don't need professional help. Uh If anything... I'm just saying this out of the kindness of my heart, and I care about her, but she thinks of it as more of an insult and says, no, absolutely <laughs> not. I am fine. Well, listen, don't outrule it. I got my mom to go to therapy after my father died, and she was 81. Oh. She was 81, and she's a proud Canadian-born Greek woman. So if my, <laughs> mom, if my mom can do it, you never know. Rosa might be up for it eventually. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I hope so. I hope so. I, I know mean, she's young still, right? She's in her 60s. Oh, yeah. Yeah, mean, yeah. She's young. She's so still, She's still working hard. But again, you've got to respect her wishes. I mean, for me, I just forced my mom into it because I was living with her. And I said, I can't deal with these emotions, mom. I don't have the skills for this. You know, yep. I know you're upset. Which brings me to the question of some solutions. What sort of services would have been helpful for you? going through this and things that you wish you'd had help with and why? Yeah, I think definitely knowing the services that are out there. I think as someone who previously was not engaged in Alzheimer's awareness or even in the healthcare area, had it not been because I now do this and now I'm involved in this area, I would have had absolutely no idea where to turn to. Like I told you, I was working in the governor's office and from there, I found out of the resources available. But had I not been, had I just been you know, working in Northern Virginia or somewhere else and not understood the services that were out there for me, I would have been completely lost. Mm-hmm. We probably would have never even applied for Medicaid or even had found out that, oh, maybe a home agency could come and we could have a CNA take care of my dad at home mm-hmm. while he's still okay. I think that there are a lot of organizations that do a great job at providing services for individuals with disabilities, elderly folks, but a lot of it goes down to the type of outreach they should do or the families they should reach. And and while they do, uh, to some extent, I feel that the average person, like such as myself, has no idea what they do or how they could provide help for me. Navigating through Medicaid and all of that and taking that to the doctor and finding a CNA, finding a home agency, finding a nurse. I mean, thank God for Google. My hands would be tied. I really don't know what we would do. And so the services are out there and it's good. I mean, there's some things that can be changed, like hiring a more diverse staff, but finding the services, that's what's difficult. 
we see a lot of preparing for your future, preparing for retirement, which is great. I should prepare, but where do I start? Where do I go to? And whether that's picking up the phone and calling this organization that's promoting the idea, okay. But then you're going to tell me that, oh, well, where do you live? And you're just going to punch it into a computer and give me the numbers of all these places yeah. that I need to you know, begin with. So it's a big animal to tackle. You can only do so much as an organization. It's difficult. That part is difficult. Of, mm. like, where do I begin? Mm-hmm. Were you surprised to discover the high numbers of caregivers your age? Yes, I was. Because again, going to my when I first found out about my father's Alzheimer's uh, diagnosis, I, I felt like I didn't have anyone to talk to. And I think slowly, as I began sharing my dad's story and my experiences, I started meeting people my age, mm. telling me I actually had someone reach out to me through social media telling me my father has Alzheimer's disease. And I read your story and I 100% relate to you. And she's, I think, 21 or something like that. Uh-huh. You know, this was, what, four or five years ago when I was, that age, I didn't have anyone to talk to. I didn't. I didn't read stories like that. If I did, I had to Google hard <laughs> to uh-huh. find like a, a blog or someone of someone at thirty-five or something uh-huh. sharing their experiences with their father. But I never met someone who was twenty or twenty-one, nineteen, anywhere in that age group that was going to the same thing as me. So seeing those numbers was just eye-opening. And I want to meet these people. I want to learn about them and how they cope with this. How are they able to balance their professional life and personal life? Mm -hmm. How are they able to separate, okay, well, there is this sense of obligation to take care of my family, but also a sense of taking care of yourself. Because in this process, I also learned that. I myself found myself very depressed, very unstable, Mm -hmm. and always there's this pressure of, I need to take care of my family. I need to do well. I went to this good school. That means I need to get this good job. And I seek professional help because I knew I wasn't feeling well. I knew that mentally and emotionally I was not there and I was not dealing with my father's Alzheimer's diagnosis the correct way. Mm -hmm. So learning that there are other people out there just like me in my age group, it was eye-opening and I wish I could meet them and talk to them. (laughs) If I have, I've had the opportunity to meet with some of them. You're an advocate now. And so tell us what sort of advocacy work you're doing around this. Yeah. So my primary focus is sharing my father's story as an immigrant and also my father as a first generation American and navigating through the system as someone who was, well, uh, who was in college and now uh, in the professional world, but still providing care for my immigrant parents. And so luckily through uh, Us Against Alzheimer's, Jason has been helpful in helping me share that story. In addition to my work with the Us Against Alzheimer's, I sit on the board for the Alzheimer's Association, Greater Richmond Chapter here in Virginia. But honestly, just keeping my dad's memory alive and his story alive, I've always been open to sharing that because, like I told you, I, I miss him a lot. I miss him a lot, and I'm able to remember him and the person he was by sharing these stories that I just shared with you and just makes me appreciate having my mom around still so much more and and hoping that my story and what I share, my experiences also resonate with other individuals in my age group because I know that it was a very, very lonely experience in college. In college, as you can imagine, you're exposed to so many other things Mm. (laughs) that may or may not help you. Uh, I know that some folks take a different route with dealing with grief and luckily I had my family and I didn't take 
a terrible route or anything like yeah, that or dealt with grief differently. Too. My mom was there, so I was able to come home to her and talk to her. And while I didn't have friends that fully understood, they were still supportive. And so that helped me. And But I think about those individuals that don't have that support system. They may find themselves drinking or using drugs to cope with that grief. And I just hope that my story, if it ever gets to them, helps them understand that they're not alone, that their work is not going unrecognized. Mm. So, yeah. Great. Well, that sounds like a good place to end. Unless there's anything else that you'd like to add in terms of leaving people with last thoughts or anything. I would say there is a time where you have to take a step back and take care of yourself. I think that in the beginning, I was very wrapped up with as I shared with you, what am I going to do in the future? How am I going to take care of mom and dad? And all that was overwhelming to the point where I felt like I needed to seek professional help. Mm -hmm. And it's helped me. And sometimes that can come off as selfish. To others, it may come off as selfish when you kind of have to step back and take care of yourself first so that you could provide the proper care to, to those who you need to take care of later down the road. But for those who find themselves in this type of situation as a caregiver, as a millennial caregiver, as a daughter, as a son, I know it can be exhausting, but never forget that your health matters too. To take a step back and if you feel that you need help yourself or that you need a break, take it. Because unfortunately, Alzheimer's is a long process. And I'm in year seven, and I burned myself out the first couple of years, and now I, I seek help. I, I feel better. I have a great relationship with my mom. I miss my dad every day, but I came to terms that there's only so much I can do. And so take care of yourself, because if you're not healthy, we're not going nowhere. <laughs> we're just <laughs> going to be spinning our wheels, and we are just not going to be helping anyone. So yeah, that's, that's what I would say to people who hear this and listen to the story in this podcast. Lisette Carberhall, thank you so much for sharing your story. We'll have a link to the study I mentioned earlier. It's the USC Us Against Alzheimer's Report. It's titled Millennials and Dementia Caregiving in the United States. We'll have a link to that on the AgeWise website. And we'll also provide a list of online resources that young caregivers can tap into right now. Lisette Carbajal, thank you so much for your time. And thanks for your candor. I really appreciate it. And I know that listeners appreciate it. Thanks, Lisette. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. That's it for today. Thanks for joining us. If you like this show, please tell your friends and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to check out some of our other episodes. Head on over to agewise.com. That's A-G-E-W-Y-Z.com. And use our search feature to discover some great conversations with guests who talk about issues of specific interest to you. You'll get tips, find links to useful information, laugh, cry, and best of all, know you're not alone. The AgeWise podcast is produced by me, and it's distributed on the nationally syndicated Speak Up Talk radio network. I'm Jana Panaritis. See you next time. And remember, every caregiver has a story. I want to hear yours.